Hey guys, Joe Miles here with Osseo Gear. This is the Mission Whitetail Podcast. We're going to be doing a deep dive into what it truly takes to kill these mature bucks. We're going to step outside the box and look at the why for gear, tactics, training, and more importantly, the mindset from over 35 years of chasing these magnificent animals all over North America. Thank you for following along and welcome to Mission Whitetail. All right, guys, welcome back to the Mission Whitetail podcast. Uh, pretty good topic today, bow selection. Uh, that's a big expense with equipment, probably the most expensive equipment piece is a bow hunter you can buy, clothing, bows, stands. Um, so it's a, it's a big purchase, and it's a super important purchase. And what we have found is that, like everything else, it's important to test it and really go shoot the bows. You know, for the last two years, I've shot Matthews, or we both shot Matthews. Mm -hmm. Before that, I shot Hoyt for two or three years, and before that, I shot Matthews, and before that, I shot PSE. So I've shot a bunch of different bows, and now every year when the new ones come out, I like to go and, and test them out, and there's a ton to unpack there. Yeah, I, I think that all – you can be a, you know, a brand-specific guy, but if you're trying to get the best out of the best, I think it's important to shoot um, the bows that you're interested in, even in different, different brands, um, to see which one's the best for that price range because – I think all the all the companies they come out with one every year, and just because they came out with the latest and greatest doesn't mean you'll like it as much as the one you already have, or that it's you know going to stay better than the competition. They all I think they have like ebbs and flows when it comes to coming out with the best of the best. Yeah, I, you know I I hadn't gotten the new bow every single year. You know, I sh last two years I've shot the same exact bow. This year with the with the V3X by Matthews, um, you know, I, I saw some improvements uh, with a longer axle to axle and some other things. But I, I guess before we get into brand specific, you know, once again, and this is a horse that we keep beating, but we not sponsored by any bows, want to get the best, want to give honest feedback on the products that we use. And this year we tested the Matthews, the Hoyt, and the prime you know those were the bows that, that we wanted to test uh next year we're probably going to dump in pse and dump in Botech and, and give it a really really fair shake and what we like to test and what guys can test the speed of the bow how quiet they are and the physical weight of the bow those are really the three things that you can test out to get real data about not, not real data back now not everybody has a decibel reader but man it's a hundred dollar purchase to get a, a decibel reader yeah i don't i don't even remember if it was i don't remember if it was even that much it, it wasn't too expensive though if you want to even go down that route if that if that matters to you the, it, it, the, it does it does to me because i i do feel like the noise the bow makes it has the potential to make the deer jump. 
I know they hear a lot of the arrow coming at them, but they hear that bow, you know, inside 40 yards. I feel like they react to the sound of the bow. And anything I can do to minimize that reaction, I want to do. And, and so it's a, it is a fine line, I think, between speed and noise. Yep. And what we have found in the last several years is that the Matthews has been by far the quietest bow. By far. Yeah, every, every year, the past couple of years we've done the test, the Matthews definitely shines with that, and it seems like it, it's the best or toward the top when it comes to hand shock as well, and, and a lot of that equates to noise. When you have that vibration, you have the hand shock, and that's what gives you that noise as well. Yeah, it, you know, it, the hand shock, the draw, uh, the draw cycle or draw curve, how, how it feels to draw, you know, with muscle memory, you, you can pretty much get used to um, about any of the bows nowadays because they, they are, are all so close. I mean, the, the, the biggest difference, and, and you know, we, we did the test. It's on our YouTube channel, the Joe Miles Hunting YouTube channel. But the, the biggest difference we saw really was the prime you know, was in the middle of the pack as far as being quiet, but it really fell off in the speed category. You know, double digits slower feet per second than the than the Hoyt and the Matthews, but it also had the the longest or the biggest brace height. Yeah, I I actually thought it would do a little better in the speed category. I didn't think it would win, but I thought it would be a little bit a little bit closer. Um, so I was pretty surprised with that. And after those after those findings, I, it kind of just um, you know made my assumption, I guess, true that that the the Matthews and the Hoyt still are at the head of the pack. Yeah, I, I agree. And and you know, to, to be fair, we're going to have to test the PSE. We're going to have to test the Bowtech, and and because there are a lot of guys that shoot those. And let, let's let's face it. They're so close, and all these bows nowadays are so good. You know, a guy commented on our either the, the video or a social media post that, that he learned a few years ago that the bows can outshoot him. Yeah. Meaning that, that with the human error we put in them is, is not going to be – it isn't going to matter what you shoot. But I, I can see that. I don't totally agree with that because I feel like if your equipment is better, if it's quieter, if, if it's faster – you know, if it's more dynamically efficient, you know, it's going to give you an advantage. So, yeah, I can see that the bows can outshoot you, but anything you can do to give yourself an advantage, even if it's just a, a, a millimeter, it's worth, you know, looking into. So I, I thought maybe what we would do, Kevin, is, is kind of dive into the bows we have here, which, which happen to be you know, both Matthews is this is the new V3X. Guys that are listening obviously aren't going to be able to see the the bows that we have laid out here, and you've got your Matthews as well. But maybe maybe before we get into that, you, you know, after our test was over, we actually went back. We had the RX7, the Matthews V3X, and the Prime Inline 1. Is that how you say it? Yep. Inline 1. And those were the ones we tested, and – the Matthews and the Hoyt were really, really close speed-wise. They were within two feet per second of each other. 
the Hoyt was surprisingly louder. That carbon bow was was super loud. It was louder quite uh, 9% more than the Matthews. Yep. That's 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 a good bit. I mean, you could you could noticeably hear the pop of that bow going off. And you know, we weren't at extreme poundage. We were at a little over 70 pounds and we were at 28-inch draws. So so nothing crazy there. Um, and we ended up going back to the shop and getting the aluminum uh, venom and testing that. And the Hoyt's got some interesting, interesting stuff going on. You know, we shot the venom with the exact same draw length, exact same poundage against the RX-7, same draw length, same poundage. And the RX-7 was, what, eight, nine feet per second faster. Yep. And the cams, the limbs, everything the same, and we couldn't figure it out. And a guy in the shop noticed it. There were more speed balls on the string of the RX-7 than there were on the Venom. So we actually switched the strings over, and sure enough, the Venom started shooting seven, eight feet per second faster just by putting the RX-7 string on there. And then we compared that Venom to the Matthews, and you're talking about almost identical. Yep. The Matthews was still just, a, I think, one or two decibels quieter than the Venom, but the speed was exactly the same. The Venom is a little bit heavier bow, but, man, that draw cycle is nice. Yeah, the biggest thing that surprised me, though, with, when we compared the RX-7 with the Venom strings and the, the Venom with the RX-7 strings, they shot – the exact speed after we swap the strings out so that kind of blows my mind that the i guess the rx7 technically is a little more efficient speed wise because we put the slower string on it and it's still shot the same as the venom with the faster string on it yeah and so maybe maybe the the limb angles um maybe the i mean the cams are exactly the same uh, so it has got to be something in the limbs or either that carbon does something in the riser. I, I don't know. I, I'm, you know, not an engineer to, to, to yeah. be able to say why, but we saw it. I was really pulling for the venom too. I wanted, I want it to shoot well, because like you said, after you shot it, um, and feeling that draw cycle. And for some reason, I've always been a fan of, um, the Hoyt grips and some people don't think that's a big deal, but then I hear other guys saying, well, that's, what your well, that's what connects you to the bow so that makes a difference so i'm i'm uh when we go back and do this this test when you get yours in um i like them both but i i kind of am going toward the hoyt side yeah and and, and could be you know again we're, we're brand neutral I, I love this bow i shot an axis deer with it just a week or so ago smoked him yeah, yeah i mean and it, it shoots really well the, the draw is a little rugged on the back end you know it has a a pretty good hump and that the, the hoyt drew super super smooth so what what i did is is ordered a a hoyt to set up exactly like the, the matthews v3x i ordered that venom with the 70 to 80 pound limbs and gonna match them up and shoot them both for about a month and then then kind of make a decision but because it technically it could come i mean it should come down to that right yep. i mean if the performance is that close if the speed the the sound are that close and and you're more accurate with one over the other i mean accuracy trumps everything you can have the quietest fastest bow on the planet if you can't shoot it there, there's i mean that's just foolish 
Yeah, you want to hit what you're <laughs> trying to hit, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you yes yeah. you do. That's you can't do that. <laughs> so keep it at the house. That's that's a problem if you yeah, you could have the most efficient last time I checked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well uh let's um let's dive into kind of how we have these bows set up yeah. and, and talk about, you know, some of the components and we you know we we run pretty similar stuff. There there are some differences. Um I'll just start kind of out with mine and we'll, we'll let's talk about brace height for a minute because a lot of guys don't understand understand brace height and i think it's an important component um so so the brace height defined is the length uh, or the distance from the throat of the grip or a lot of times the burger hole to the string yep and this matthews uh, v3x has a seven um excuse me has a six inch brace height and the Venom also has a six-inch brace height. The RX-7 had a six-and-a-quarter-inch brace height. And then the Prime, which, which everybody talks about, its shootability and that sort of thing, it's got a seven-inch brace height. And basically, the, the pros and cons to a longer or shorter brace height, a, a shorter brace height, like a six-inch brace height compared to a seven-inch brace height, is going to get you more speed because you're drawing the bow further back fr- yep. fr- from the, the resting point. Yeah, the, the power stroke is, is, is longer. longer yep. So when you have a, six in, a shorter brace height, you're going to get more power, more speed out of the bow. When you have a longer brace height, theoretically you should get less speed, but the arrow actually stays on the string longer. I mean, excuse me, a shorter amount of time. So in theory, it's more forgiving. Right. Because with with you gripping the bow when you let the when you let break the shot, a shorter brace height, excuse me, a longer brace height gets the arrow off the string faster with so less human interference. Right. But you give up some power stroke or some speed yep. with that. Yep. So I, I I may have said that a little bit confusing, but shorter brace heights, faster speeds, longer brace heights, more forgiving. Yep. That's apples to apples, uh, in theory, what that's supposed to do. With the modern bows and the efficiency, you know, it used to be a six-inch brace height could actually be a problem with your shooting. Now the six, the six-and-a-quarter, the six-and-a-half, I have not seen anything that that's making a bow super unforgiving with a shorter brace height you don't see any or i don't see any or haven't any under six inches i mean i hadn't seen a five and a half have you um i know there have been i don't i don't know if there's any mainline ones out this year it seems like right around six is that sweet sweet spot i I agree and 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 that's you know the the faster bows are, are hovering at that six six and a quarter range and they're still really good shooting bows yep so, so the brace height on this bow, the, the Matthews V3X, again, is six inches. It's getting plenty of speed. Um, wh- what about your, your bow, Kev? Um, I think the, that's the, the Traverse, um, the Matthews Traverse. I think it's a six and a half. It's, it's kind of like their hybrid, or it was their hybrid kind of target slash hunting bow. It's a little bit longer, axle axle, and those little bit longer bows – tend to have um, a longer brace height. There you go. Okay. And, you know, we're, we're looking at these bows 
from a whitetail hunting perspective. You know, this this is a bow that we're going to have in tree stands and ground blinds. And for, for me personally, I like a more compact bow. You know, my axle to axle with this V3X, I went with the 29. Uh, the VRX or VXR, VXR. VXR yep. that I shot for the last two years, uh, it was 28. And what was starting to happen at the 28 was the string angle when you would draw the bow on a really short axle-to-axle bow. It was having, I was having to really torque my head down and not able to use as good a form. And the 29 has helped with that a good bit. You know, I have a 29-inch draw, 29-inch axle-to-axle. That's helped with that string angle. I think actually a 30-inch would be about perfect for me. I still get the... I still get the compactness that I like in a bow, so I can wiggle it around in the trees. It doesn't get in the way. It's easier to shoot under limbs and that sort of thing, but still maintain really good form and and have um, have a string angle that's more doable. Well, I mean, what are your what are your thoughts there? Yeah, when I've I shot your bow a handful of times setting it up, and um, I went from shooting that twenty eight inch. Uh, triax and I had to do the same thing dipping my nose down to the string a good bit and I felt like at at least shooting out of like the stands any kind of angled shots I could be sacrificing some accuracy there so I wasn't I could shoot it well but I wasn't too crazy about it that bow there your new one it, it definitely feels better than the 28 inch bow um, but I'm with you. I, I like that 30-inch to 33-inch range. Um, like I said, the Traverse is a 33, and I could notice a big difference. I don't have to move my head at all when I, um, when I draw and I go to anchor. Um, so that, that was a big thing for me. I, help, I think it helps a good bit when I practice shooting out of, um, out of the saddle, out of the tree stand as well. So you you do like one of you know if it, your your ideal length axle to axle would be thirty three or um the thirty to thirty three I I hunted all year with that one last year out of the saddle and didn't have any any problem with it but I think I could shoot that VX three that twenty nine really well but I don't I don't think this the thirty three inch bow is is it's too know, big is too big now much bigger than that if you're hunting out of uh out of a ground blind one of them smaller ground blinds you might run into some issues yeah okay well moving on from axle to axle maybe we hop into the the sites yeah talk about sites for a minute you know it's important to try out a bunch of sites and see see what you like you know we we tried two new sites this year that i i really didn't like either one of them i'm obviously not going to bring them up don't don't want to do any brand bashing here um the the site that i continue going back to and have run for the last seven eight years the black gold um i've got the ascent is the one that i have on this bow and i've had that site for four years and i really like uh i really like the site the thing i like i guess most about black gold is is really three things you know it's a I, I run a three-pin site that's movable. I like to have the ability to move the site, and it locks in tight. I don't have to worry about when I lock it in, I don't have to worry about it getting hung on my pack or a limb or something and adjusting. So the ability to lock it down so it can't move is important. 
I like the fact that you can custom order the sight pins. You can get the uh, 019s or the 10s, and you can mix and match the colors. They give you that option. I, I really like that. And then the, they are a real uh, well-built kind of bulletproof sight, but they're not super heavy. Some of these higher-end sights are so heavy yep. that they, they really cause the bow. You have to take your back bar and push it far out to make it balance so i feel like they really nailed it on the nailed it on the weight and still being a super uh, strong kind of bulletproof type sight i guess if i had one negative is is they don't have the micro adjust on the yeah. on the ones that i have and i would black gold if you're listening man if y'all could put a, a, a micro adjust on these things it would be the absolute ultimate yeah, I know they do make one. I don't know if it's a slider with micro adjust, but to your point about them being lighter, that's probably why they're lighter too. It'd probably bulk them up a, a little bit putting that those micro adjust deals in there. I, I don't know, but um, but I'm with you. I I, uh, I shoot. I think it's the same exact one. Mine's the Mountain Light, the Scent Mountain Light, black gold, and like you're saying, the customability. The customization, um, I really like that, uh, I guess, the sun shade, or it's, I forget what they call it, but it, it blocks the brighter um, sun or light from getting into your fibers and make creating that blooming effect when you're looking at your pens in, in um, brighter conditions. Um, what else? Uh, I like that they have the first, second, and third axis adjustments, and I also run that the three pin. Um, I I never really move it in the hunting situations. I'm always it's usually 30 yards and in when I'm shooting in the in the timber. But it's nice to have the ability to shoot out to 100 yards if you want into the in the yard or whatever when you're when you're practicing. And, and I think another thing maybe we touch on is, is single pin versus multiple pins. A lot of guys shoot single pins, and I understand that. There's less clutter. There's less stuff in the, in the sight ring. I think, um, you know, we were talking to Andy the other day, and he was talking about, you know, it really helped with his target panic, just having one pin in there and to focus on one pin. Um, I, I have a little bit different train of thought there. We talk about the opportunities we get on deer, big deer, is, is so few and far between. I don't want to get stuck dialing my sight to 45 yards, and, you know, he's following a doe, and she kind of runs from him and comes in to 20 yards or, or vice versa. You know, he spooks. You know, he's coming right down a trail. Okay, I'm going to shoot him at 20 yards, and then he decides to turn and go another way, and I've got one little hole at 30 yards, and I don't have time to move it. And I know that would happen to me. And and I just, for me, having three pins, you know, I shoot a, a speed that allows me to shoot zero to 30 with the same pin, and then I've got a 40 and 50. You know, in 32 years of bow hunting, I've, I've shot one deer over 50 yards. I shot a deer in Montana at 52. Um, so most of the shots, like you say, are, are 30 yards and in, which would set itself up for a single pin. But, man, you know, if you if – you, <laughs> If you get him at 40 and you're, you're dialed at 20 with that single pin sight, it just, to me, there's too much that can go wrong there. Yeah, and there's some guys out there that can just set their pin at, um, you know, 25 or 30 yards and know their holdovers and hold unders. But I'm like, you, if, if there's something 
that can go wrong is gonna happen to me in the freaking tree <laughs> and having those extra two pins in there it doesn't bother me that much and my bow shooting at that 285 speed range so they're not the pins aren't jumbled up just stacked right on top of each other there's just enough gap there to where i can see you know the belly of the deer and in the top of the deer so I, I don't feel like i guess that claustrophobic feeling with where it's just it's not just a wall of pins uh, i think that's what a lot of guys get they get that see that wall of pins and then they they get kind of that claustrophobic or anxiety when when they can't see around it and uh, that's when they kind of start punching the trigger but i have a hard enough time when i'm shooting you know at the shop i'll dial out to 60 yards shoot a little bit put my bow down i'll come back and i'll go okay i'm gonna shoot at 30 yards one time and i forget to touch that dial and i send one <laughs> forever <laughs> so, so that's why the fence out there's got yeah, us yeah yeah a couple <laughs> couple blemishes <laughs> uh yeah we we have all done that and it, but it does seem like it's a lesson that, that we kind of you know it's good to happen on the range because it yeah. and and again you know when you when we go into the stand I, i've never i've never moved it Mm-mm. you know I, I moved it shooting some stuff out west elk yeah. uh mule deer um red stag you know that sort of stuff where it's longer shots but for whitetail man three pins is yep. you're, you're right there that's what i really like about these sites and other ones make them similar other companies make them similar too but it's like that perfect blend you got your white tail fixed three pin site and then you also have the slider for when you're practicing during the off season um you know shooting those double distance shots to make you you know better at those chip shots yeah so and just to finish up on the sites the way i have set mine up you know, I, I found sitting in a ground blind one morning in the pitch black dark, I watched my pins two mornings in a row, and the green always got bright the fastest. Yep. And it could be my eyes, but I think you've read somewhere that it, the yeah. green does Green get, is brighter. Green is the brightest. So the way, if, if you're going to order one of these sites, the way I have mine set up is I have green at the top, and that's a 019, so it get it gets brightest the fastest and it's the largest because it's going to be the closest shot yep. and get brightest because if, if you are shooting right at first light you're, you're not going to be poking them out to 40 50 yards because no. you can't see that far right so you that pin is going to be brightest first and it's the closest yardage so i have it the biggest and then i go red at 40 and then i go back to green at 50 and those are tens those are zero uh, one zero size pins they're they're smaller and i do that on purpose because it's a finer aperture to aim with so i go i'll call them 19 at the top then tens then 10 and and for me that's worked really really good yeah my my bow setup is um, I have a little bit, um, a little bit shorter draw length than you, and I think you have that those seventy-five pound mods in your bow, so you get a little more speed than my bow. I, I max it out at seventy, but um, so it's a little bit slower. I I got this one dialed in. It's just the regular twenty, thirty, forty, and they're all they're all nineteens. I got the green for the brightest at the top, red, and then and yellow. Um, but they're all 19s. I, I'm running a, a uh, 
four power magnifier and a, a 1.0 clarifier in the peep. I mind messing around for, you know, target shooting. I don't know if I'm going to hunt with it. Uh, I really like it. Uh, I would like to hunt with it, but like I said, if something bad could go wrong, it's going to happen to me. And I just, I've had my binoculars and things like that fog up when you're excited and yeah. you, and you accidentally breathe into them on a cold morning. And, um, so I got to test that. All right, moving on from the sights, let's hop into the rest. That's a super important part of your bow, if not maybe the most important part. Yeah. If you don't have a real tunable, bulletproof, repeatable rest, you can get in big trouble. We, we have found that out being in extreme temperatures in the Midwest and having rest actually freeze up on us. Uh, and, and the rest that I, you know, for the last three years has been the Hamsky. You know, I always equate it for guys that shoot rifles. It's kind of the night force of of rest, as as the night force is to scopes and the long range shooting. It's it's just a real bulletproof rest that that's going to track and be repeatable, um, and, and one that you know it's a it's a limb driven rest versus a cable driven rest. And you being a a bow tech, you might can talk a little more specific. I know this will probably maybe bore some guys but but it's an important you know it's an important part to educate yourself on you know a lot of guys what, what is limb driven what is cable driven what does that mean why is one better than another you know which one's easier to tune which one holds its tune you know they, they made some changes to it these epsilons are different than the trinity pro that that we ran last year maybe dive into the rest kevin and, and educate us all on you know, being a bow tech, what, what you have found. So I guess we'll do cable versus limb driven, kind of explain that real quick. Um, the cable driven rests are, you literally attach the launcher cord to the, the down cable, um, on your bow. So that cable that goes downward, that goes through the roller guard or your whatever kind of guard you got for your cables. Um, you attach it, um, the launcher cord to that, and it's it's spring loaded. So once you have it timed to your draw length, when you shoot that that quick release lets the cable uh, or the sorry the launcher drop, and but it's all spring loaded. So for a lot of guys and we've actually seen it in person um if you're hunting especially when you're hunting cold temperatures there's a good chance that 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 sucker can lock up and it's not going to fall if it freezes or if you get some kind of gunk in it um another thing that i'm not crazy about is once they wear out they'll start slapping your your um your shelf and the shelf is right above your grip where the where the arrow goes um so a lot of guys like them um but the reason that we switched to the hamski is literally that reason your your rest kind of freezing up in in kansas um and the hamski is a a limb driven rest so you connect your cable your launcher cable to either the top or the bottom limb and and that literally forces the launcher out of the way. So if it's for some reason it locks up, it, it'll rip it out, out of the way when you shoot. 
Um, another reason I like the Hamski is you can adjust the timing for the launcher. So if you want your launcher to get out of the way um, quicker, you can adjust it further away from the, the uh, end of the limb, more toward the riser. And if you want it to hold your arrow longer, you can adjust it toward the end of the limb, toward the cams, and it'll pull the launcher out of the way um, later on in, in the cycle. So, so just question on that. So the limb-driven rest has the ability to hold your arrow longer than the cable-driven rest. Is that Would that be accurate? Yeah, yeah, and some guys like that and other guys don't like it. I think it, and this is just in my opinion, I like my launcher to drop at that about 50% mark of the power stroke. Um, that's kind of the sweet spot I found for um, kind of the, it gives the arrow enough stability to shoot it accurately, but it also gets that launcher off the arrow. And I think it's a little more forgiving the, the sooner you get that launcher off of the arrow. So, you know, a lot of guys won't be tuning their own bows. They won't be putting their own launchers on. The pro shops will do that. But for guys that are, you know, th it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've started learning more and more about it. You obviously have been a bow tech for many years. And I, I like, you know, fletching my own arrows some. I like, you know, tying some stuff in and, and that sort of stuff. So learning more and more about the tuning process. Would you say that the Hamski um, with, with the, the, the limb-driven rest is is easier to tune harder to tune what what have you found compared to the cable driven rest um so the the two that i have the most experience with are these epsilons i've set up like 10 bows already with these and then the um the qad integrated and then the qad hbx and, you did hundreds of those yeah and then also the the hamsky trinity pro um but um, as far as now that they made these uh, click micro adjust on these epsilons um, for micro tuning, they're this just exactly the same as the um, the QAD, the integrated one. Uh, when it comes to tuning, I think the epsilons or the the cable drivens are a little bit easier, just because. If you adjust your elevation for some reason, that'll take on a on a cable driven rest. That'll take your timing out. Um, so if you go up, for example, it's going to make that that cable the cord that attaches your cable and attaches to your launcher tauter. So that could take your um, your cams out of time a little bit, and vice versa. If you come down with it it makes that that cord not as taut and it might take your your launcher out of time to where it won't even drop trigger it to drop and then you're ripping fletchings off your launcher um, with these with the hamskies regardless of when you're adjusting it you just take that little allen key loosen it it pulls the launcher up and then you you go up or down and then you pull it back taut and lock it in so there's you can't really forget about it it's going to get out of the way yep so that yeah that's and and you know I, I think the ability of it in freezing cold weather to get frozen is i mean 
we've had them in some cold, cold weather and, and absolutely no issues. Yeah, the one thing that somebody could argue too, um, and I can see it, but um, is if you draw and for some reason, you know, the, there's no more, there's no tension on that the launcher cable and your launcher doesn't come up because it's spring loaded for it to come up. But they they use some heavy duty springs inside of those, um, so it something really bad would have to happen for that. Not it's work. a movable part, and it could fail. Guys that want something that's bulletproof would be like a a whisker biscuit or something like that. But you, you know you're going to have uh, we're talking millimeters again. You're, it's going to slow your error down some. The accuracy is not going to be as good. The tunability is not going to be as good. Um, but but it's bulletproof. Yeah, but this day and age, I hope you're shooting a, a drop away. They they make, you know, between those two, if you want to go cable driven or the Hamski, the QAD and the Hamski for um for uh, limb driven, those two are are top notch. And um, I would straight just because you can wear those whisker biscuits out, and then once you start wearing them out, then you lose your tune. And then with these, you can't really you don't wear out the the launcher unless you put some some felt on it and that's just you know not even a sixteenth of an inch if you wear the felt out so um, I think reliability tuning wise you're going to have better success with with a drop away for sure yeah and, and you know I mean heck a, a, a bolt could come loose with the with the whisker biscuit I mean anything can happen and you know when the when the drop aways first came out just like the mechanical broadheads, there were issues, mm-hmm. and as technology increased and got better, you know they've they've basically mastered them. And I I mean personally, I know a couple guys that shoot the whisker biscuits, and they're kind of old school. But ninety nine percent of the hunters I know shoot drop away rests. So yeah, especially if you shoot a lot with if you're shooting through the whisker biscuit, you'll wear out some fletchings um, pretty quick. At least I know when the whisker biscuits came out. I did. I, I wore the Fletch and slap off a bunch of my arrows. Yep. All right, let's move on to uh, stabilizers, back bars. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys uh, run stabilizers. I think everybody I know shoots with at least a stabilizer on it. Not, you know, probably not as popular are the back bars. Um, I started running a back bar four or five years ago, and it, it, what it does is it balances the bow. You know, you've yep. got a sight, a quiver, ma- uh, quiver mount, your rest, everything on the right side of the bow. And you, if you're a right-handed shooter, and then you've got your back bar that runs out the obviously the back of the bow, and it offsets that weight, and then it also balances out. You know, these Matthews are known to be a little top-heavy, and it balances that right out. Um, one thing that I found with my back bar is I had it for guys that are. YouTube looking at this you can see I've got my back bar actually coming out of a knuckle underneath the stabilizer and there's obviously a hole back here that you can you can put a back bar straight in but that had it sticking out probably four inches further and you know I like to keep everything real compact in the tree and every time I would move to my left my elbow or shoulder would hit it and it would freak me out like I was going <laughs> to knock the bow off the bow hanger and um so, so I fixed that by moving the bar up um to to where the front stabilizer comes out with that knuckle 
and I'm still getting the same amount of I, I did add a little bit of weight to it after I did that yeah. but I'm getting the same balance it's out of the way and and when I draw my bow back now and close my eyes open them up the bubble is right in the middle and that's really what you're doing and when you when you put the back bar on there I think that's the thing to do that you know archery shops have balancing stands that you can put the the bow on Wayne did that for for us put it on but then when I got back and drew it I had to adjust it so right. I, I don't I mean yeah you can do the whole balancing thing but putting the back bar on having a buddy there with you close your eyes draw your bow look at your bubble and if it's one way or the other just adjust that bar until it's right and again that's going to help you with your, your shooting yeah so maybe go um let the let the listeners know what what type of bars you're using what lengths and how much weight do you have on the front and the back so the i'm using the flat lines by matthews and i've got a six inch on the front and eight inch on the back and then i've got actually a bee stinger knuckle so i've kind of mixed and matched products there but again that's what we do (laughs) i I don't care and so that that runs out the 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 front of the or I, I guess it, the knuckle actually screws in to the riser and then the stabilizer goes into that and then it has a quick detach for the back bar. Um, I don't have any weight on my front mm-hmm. and I have uh, two, four, six, eight, eight ounces on the back. So that's what, that's what I'm running. Um, I, I, it was six ounces when I had the, when I had it running out the back, yeah. when I moved it forward. No, it's the other way. I had I had six ounces when I had it sticking out the back, yep. and then I added two more ounces when I moved it moved it forward. Yeah, the the extra length um, when it's coming out the back. If you have a longer bar, you can uh, get away with less weight, but you've moved it a couple inches forward, so put a little that, more weight. Yeah, in. so that makes sense. Um, let me see if I can grab my bow without knocking anything over. Don't scratch Natalie's table. That would be a no-no. That would be the end of the podcast. That would be the end of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so for my setup, I'm running the – I forget what the exact name of this – the shrewd bar is but it's it's in the if you go on shrewd's website and go on the hunting stabilizers it's the it's the 12 inch one um i'm running that in the front i'm also running a eight degree down um a shrewd disconnect in the front and then i have the shrewd atlas v bar in the back um so it, it's screwed right into the back of that uh, threading in the riser. And then I have another shrewd 9-inch bar. Um, and I'm running 3 ounces on the back, and I run 1 in the front. I was running uh, about 7 ounces in the back, but it was actually just weighing me down too much. And I could, I could get away with running the 3 and... Um, I didn't really see much difference in pin float going from that from that weight um, change. I did try to do a, like a 15 inch bar in the front and then a 12 in the back, 
but it was just like you were saying i was bumping it in in the actually my hip when i was practicing on the real heavy downward angle shooting out of the stand um it it was always hitting my hitting my hip when i would use proper form and bend it the way so uh, i went to a little bit shorter bar but it seems to shoot really well yeah, you and, and you do shoot it well. And you mentioned something a second ago about weight. And I think we both like a little heavier bow. Yeah. Uh, I think you're able to aim it. You, you know, you, if you shoot it a lot, your muscles get used to holding it up. And if you, you will practice drawing it and holding it for a minute at a time, or even guys can hold it from two minutes at a time, it's good to practice that. But the, the little heavier weight, you know, in the wind, you know, aiming it, it just, it just like a heavy rifle. Right. You know, you, you take – you know these competition rifles and the, these rifles are heavy because they're they're more stable and the same thing but it, it, you know if you don't practice and you got a super heavy bow you know you're gonna your arms are gonna be trembling and shaking and that that's a bad thing but if you shoot a lot you know i like to have a little more weight on my bow and and i'm not looking for the lightest possible setup that i can have yeah i'm not i'm i don't have we're not out west so we're not packing you know millions of miles in chasing elk or anything with with our setups we still could but having that little bit of extra weight doesn't bother me and i know it makes me more accurate especially when i get that adrenaline going and i'm you know breathing heavier uh, when it's coming down to the moment of truth there so anything that helps with accuracy um i'm gonna go to you know i'm gonna favor that way for sure, for sure. yep absolutely I guess the last thing on the bow to talk about, really, I mean, we could talk about peep. Oh, yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Like, I, I run a peep sight and a kisser button. I, I like to have the, the three points of contact or, you know, I like to have my, my peep sight as a, as a reference point. I put my nose on the string as a reference point, And then I guess maybe this is a little bit old school. I like to have the kisser button. Um, so I've got that as my third reference point. I know you started running one of the nose buttons and seemed to like that more than you liked your kisser button. Yeah, um, I, run a no, I run the nose button. I like it a lot. I, I use the smaller one, the Bomar nose button. They come in a pack of two. One's a bigger one and then a smaller one. I like the smaller one. Uh, but I also like that extra point of contact in the crease of my mouth. Uh, so I just put a... Uh, serving ball right there where your kisser button would go. I don't want something as big as a kisser because I I feel like I'm not used to them. They kind of push the string away from my face or put too much string contact on my face. Um, so I just put that little reference point. But um, but I really like I could shoot I could shoot it without it with just the nose button. But I I really like that nose button, especially if you wear a face mask. You can just pull that pull that face mask down under the bridge of your nose and you'll you'll feel your anchor point pretty well now 316th peep um i with with this housing i almost wish i i bought the the big dog two inch um sight housing for my black gold this is uh, i think the one i got is the normal inch and a half or inch and three quarter inch and one a half, yeah. um so with my draw length and I had to do some testing, but with my draw length, a one-eighth peep diameter fits that housing really well, and I sh- just shoot 
way better with that one. I had a, I always ran a three sixteenths, but I tested it in low light, and I don't really see much of a difference yeah. for me. Um, so I use a one eighth just because it fits right around that site housing better, and I, I there's less wiggle room for when I'm taking those longer shots. Gotcha. I, I run the three sixteenth have for ever, um, and it you know that works good for me don't have light issues uh you know a lot of guys are, are taking their peeps out and that seemed to be a, a a trend there for a while no peep and i'm sure there's some guys that are going to listen to this and say they have no problem shooting with no peep but man the accuracy you give up is immense yeah you you're giving up way more accuracy for i don't know what because if if I can't see through my peep, I can't even see my pins usually. So I don't, I don't think you're, you're gaining anything shooting without it. But some guys, they're um, Chase Courtney. He can freaking, he can drill anything he wants, and he shoots no peep. Um, so yeah, to each his own. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, but how much accurate? more accurate would chase be if he if he had a peep i don't know what to call <laughs> yeah, him up we'll and ask him, him. Yeah. <laughs> uh all right so enough about the string peeps kisser buttons d loops uh, i guess the last thing really on the bow to, to talk about are the quivers and this for, for me this is probably one of the cheapest quivers <laughs> out there it's about 40 bucks but man do i love it this is uh, the headlock quiver by G5 is who makes it, and it is a simple, 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 efficient quiver. It's got a cam lock right here that's silent, and it just pops right off of this little circular piece right here. I guess that would be the male end, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> this would be the female end. Keep your face right from that male <laughs> So, and it comes with a bracket that you screw into the tree it's just it's got a really good self-tapping screw you screw it in that matches that and then it just cams right on the tree and i love that so it makes it really easy really efficient it's inexpensive but it is the best quiver system that i have found and run and it, it's just completely silent and super super easy um you know i, I talk about your quiver and, and what you've got and then i want to i want to come back to quivers and shooting for a minute once, once you talk about your quiver so i actually left the the quiver at the office but i'll tell you about it it's just the um it's the older style matthews web i think it's a five arrow quiver i only run like three or four arrows in it um but it, it's it um it's the old school i think it was when they came out with the gridlock risers so it's not even that the newest it's not the newest one, but it's basically the same design where you cam lock it in. Um, and I guess that's really my only gripe about the quiver is when, let me grab the bow real quick. When you cam lock the quiver in on this, this bracket connected to my, my riser here, um, it's metal on metal. And we're, we're pretty... Uh, pretty big about metal on metal anything we're always putting you know hockey tape or whatever on on things to cut that down so i have to be real careful when i get to the stand when i'm taking my quiver off um to you know take it off really easy and if you guys use 
decide to go with the Matthews and go with this type quiver, make sure when you put your bow hanger in a pine tree, keep keep this bracket away from the sap because <laughs> it'll squawk like a, <laughs> a freaking stuck chicken. <laughs> if you don't, ask me how I know. Squawk like a stuck chicken. That's some serious That's squawking. Squawking. God, don't. Um, and then the only kind of modification I did to mine was I took the actual the head of the quiver where it um where the the broadheads go up into the foam i took it off of the the bracket and put a i don't know it's probably like a six inch piece of paracord and i looped it through each one of the brackets and bolted that head back on that way i have a, a something to hang it from um instead of just trying to hang it on the arrows or the actual quiver it's just a little easier to hang we're going to need to get you the G5 yeah, uh, headlock I, quiver. Yeah, I was actually thinking about getting that one. It's just the old, if it ain't broke, don't yep. fix it deal. And I haven't been haven't been thinking about it. I never shoot with the quiver on really anyways. So. That is exact. I'm glad. I'm going to segue right into that. Yep. So I made a post the other day about that, about shooting. And, you know, in wrapping up today's podcast, you know, guys say, I never shoot standing. I never shoot sitting. I never shoot with my quiver on. I never shoot with my quiver off. That is, you have to do that. You're climbing out one morning. You've put your quiver on your bow. You're climbing down. You turn around, and here he comes. Yep. You don't have time to take it off. Now, these are extremes, vice versa. You only shoot with your, your, your quiver off. Well, you've you've had or, or your quiver on. I only shoot with my quiver on. So so in that scenario, yeah, if you always leave it on, you, you're it's gonna you know that's not a situation where that could happen. But if you say you only shoot with it off, you absolutely could shoot. Have to make a shot with your quiver on your bow. Vice versa, I only I only shoot sitting down. Well, if you've climbed up in the afternoon, you're standing up, hanging all your stuff up, and you turn around, and there he is. Yep. What are you going to do, sit down? So I guess the moral of the story is practice all of those. Right. You know, practice shooting, quiver on, quiver off, um, standing, sitting, kneeling. Practice all those. Another thing is, you know, with these these thumb or, or push-button releases or even your, your wrist strap releases, man, if, if some sand or grit or a bearing goes out in those things and they don't work and you find that out when you're in the stand, how do you, how do you shoot? Can you shoot with your fingers? How far accurate are you with your fingers? Can you draw your bow back with your fingers? Try all that stuff out so you're mitigating all of that risk. Um, you know, you, you don't have to shoot all the time with your fingers, but no, hey, I'm good out to, I've got to use, I don't, this is hypothetical. I got to use my 40 yard pin um, to shoot 20 yards, but you know that I can make a 20 yard shot and your hunt's not totally ruined because your, your rest failed or your, uh, your release failed on you. So I guess that's, you know, from a shooting standpoint, shoot in every possible situation, shoot in the wind, shoot when it's freezing cold, shoot with all your hunting gear on. Um, and, and, you know, the guy said, you, you know, I can't outshoot my equipment, and, and that's – but you want to try yeah. everything. Yeah, you want the best shooting equipment. That you so, can get. Yeah, so if you have, you know, an air, it could kind of make up for it. Um, and to your, to your quiver point, we, we usually don't, 
as much as we can shoot with the quiver, you know, in a hunting situation, because as soon as you put that quiver on, you're taking your bow out of tune. You just put all that weight onto the side of the bow. And then when, as you keep shooting and take an arrow out, that's 460 grains you just took off of the other side of the bow. So, um, like you said, shoot it with it on, um, maybe even shoot it with a couple arrows out of it because you're going to be taking arrows out of it when you're shooting. Uh, but, but yeah, that all that's good to know before you have to do it. Right. Yeah. I mean, th- those are things that can happen. Mm-hmm. They absolutely can happen. And, you know, back to, you know, the, the, the title of this podcast was uh, selecting your bow. I, I think the, the best thing, you know, most guys are going to go into a pro shop and somebody has told them, hey, Matthews is the way to go, Hoyt's the way to go, and they're going to go in and they're going to just pick what they read about or heard somebody say, you know, go in, pick the bow up, shoot it. Pro shops, most all of them have ranges that you can shoot the bows, get a a feel for it. Um, If you can do some speed tests, shoot them through chronographs. If If you want to go as far as getting a decibel reader and testing them out, um, you know, you can do that. Uh, that's extreme. That's a little over the top, but just go on Joe Miles hunting YouTube page. <laughs> yeah, you can do you it can, for you. You can do you can do that too. Uh, but but really, go in and shoot these things. They're all good bows now. PSE makes a good bow. Bowtech makes a good bow. Matthews makes a great bow. Hoyt makes a a good bow. They're all they're all really good bows, and and you you can't really go wrong we're splitting hairs but again mission whitetail we want the best possible equipment we can have and we want to test it and bring it to guys in in a real setting so guys once again appreciate it this kind of concludes this podcast we might add some footage of our bow test to the youtube channel Um, but we'll be back in uh in a couple weeks and as always any questions comments let us know appreciate the feedback and we'll see you all next time thanks guys